0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome uh, to Ridgeview Church. We're so glad uh, you decided to uh, join us uh, this morning. And I'm actually wrapping up a series I started a few weeks ago called Back to the Basics. And we've been looking at the fundamentals and uh, the core of how you grow uh, as a Christian. And today I'm closing out looking at the importance of, of loving people, loving each other, and uh, what, that, what that means And uh, the the subject, or even the word love, is something that in the English language, I don't know if you've noticed, but we use it uh, for tons of things. Like I find myself saying something like this, like, I love nachos. (laughs) Anybody else? It's like, I love me a good plate of nachos. And I'll tell people, like, you got to try the nachos there. I love them. And then, like, I love Costco. Like, that was, what, you guys don't, that was got quiet. Like, the samples are back, people. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you guys were, you're, they're back. Um, but I, I love Costco. And then, you know, you may love like certain places to go eat. You may love like your, your favorite store. And then what's really interesting, um, I'm, I'm married. I've been married to my wife for over 19 years. I love my wife. Yes, thank you for that. It's true. I love nachos and I love her. So what does that mean? Like how do you, what, the same word, but obviously different meanings. I love my kids. I have three of them. And in the English language, we use love uh, for all sorts of things. Um, And so it can be kind of confusing. Uh, We also uh, listen to uh, music and people all the time have like a favorite love song. Does anybody want to just shout, what's your favorite love song of all time? Does anybody have one? Beneath My Wings, a little Bette Midler special. (laughs) Wind Beneath, was that you, Pat? Okay. No judgment here. Fly. Yeah, I remember that one. I'll never do that again. I apologize. <laughs> uh, we're just going to do a one-hit wonder there, like that song, uh, Wind Beneath My Wings. It's a, it's a love song. But uh, love songs uh, talk about love, and they're, they're very uh, emotional. Uh, you can hear a song that maybe takes you back, like your first dance, like back in the day, and you hear it, you're like, oh, I remember that, depending on when you grew up and depending on the radio station you need to listen to to find it, okay? But, but love songs are, are powerful. They evoke emotion, And then also, in in our culture, we have all sorts of definitions of what love is. Like, is it an action? Is it a feeling? Is it a state of mind? Is it an idea? And so I thought I'd just pull uh, some different ideas that I just found by just kind of Googling love. And and here's some I thought I would share with you. Here's the first one. See if you can relate. All you need is love, but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. Some of you are like, that's the most real definition of love you've ever read in your life. Okay? depends if you love chocolate or not. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, You know who that guy is? Shakespeare, yeah, says it right there at the bottom too. Uh, love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind, and therefore is winged, Cupid painted blind. What on earth? You start reading that. Well, that is Shakespeare. I'm not even sure what that means. But even like Cupid is a image of love, right? It's like shooting arrows with hearts on them. It's like you want to get hit with that, but do you really? It's still an arrow. Someone's shooting you. Okay, next one. This is a little bit harder to read. Catherine Hepburn, love has nothing to do with what you are expecting to get, only with what you are expecting to give, which is everything. What's love? It's giving everything. Okay? What do you guys think so far? Does those resonate with you? What about this one? How you love yourself is how you teach others to love you. Don't snicker. You know, that some people have that tatted on their arm, okay? Like, but how you love yourself is how you teach others uh, to love you. So as I read those, each one of those definitions is very different. Same Google search. They come up with different definitions of love. The reason I bring this up is this is actually where we find ourselves uh, as we talk about love. Uh, we have different experiences by how people have loved us in our life. We have different experiences based on what people have told us. We have different experience on even how we talk about it. And so what I hope to do today is to define love and then tie it really how love is part of like the basic of Christianity. And so, so far in this series, we've been talking a lot about relating to Christ and what that relationship looks like. And then we've talked about specific spiritual disciplines like prayer and reading the scripture. And then last week, memorizing verses and actually having them in your life so that you can use them as you face different things. But then to talk about love, it, it seems like that may be disconnected, like how is love a spiritual discipline? Well, it's not so much a spiritual discipline as it is actually defining what Christianity is all about. So I hope what to do is kind of like hone in on that definition and basically ask the question, how do we become people that actually actually do this? So kind of let's start with big picture ideas. A love, uh, what you find in the scripture, is the most important expression uh, in the Christian faith. Like again and again, as you read the scripture, you should be receiving a, a theme of, of love. Like you should see that theme come out. And uh, Galatians 5.6 uh, says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So faith is another word, kind of difficult to define. A lot of people use it. But the idea is like, I have faith that God is who he said he is, and he will do what he says he will do, and he will come through even though I can't see it. Faith is is you can't see it. Like you don't, you can't prove it. You don't know it's gonna happen, but you have faith that God will stay true to his word. And that is the basis for a lot of the Christian faith. But notice here, but it's faith that actually expresses itself in love. So there's this idea of faith and love coming together. And it says, that's the only thing that counts. Now that word counts is kind of this this word for like leverage or strength. Uh, Any uh, like Avenger fans like out there? okay? Um, Thor, you know, you guys know him. He, he has a hammer, right, that he, he picks up. Now, can anyone pick up the hammer? No. How do you qualify to pick it up? You have to be, like, worthy. And there's scenes, like, where Captain America could pick it up, and it's all great and everything. But if you haven't seen him, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. That was too late. I ruined it. But uh, anyways, when, when Thor picks up that hammer, uh, that's, like, the leverage point of something that counts. Like, now something is going to happen, has the hammer. Uh, the scripture here is talking about when, when you actually have faith that expresses itself in love, that turns into an action, something is going to happen. There's a leverage point now. The, the hammer is ready, but it's not a hammer of power or pain. It's a hammer of, of like love. Like God is going to act. This is going to count. God will make a difference and he works and he does that in love. And he uses us to be a part of that in the world. Uh, The scriptures go on as well. Love is, uh, the next point, is the prime indicator that we are a Christ follower. Now, that, that should go without saying, but oftentimes, as people are looking at Christians or they're looking at the church, they're not necessarily on the outside looking in saying, this is a group of people who value love above all. And so this is actually a challenge to us. Like, are we a group of people as people on the outside look in, see love, but again, it's like, well, what does that mean? And so we'll talk about that. John 13, uh, this is one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible. This is the gospel uh, of John written about Jesus' life. And what's really interesting about this um, is love is a theme that comes again and again. The, the word love in John is mentioned 57 times, which is more than the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. So when you look at this book and you want to learn about love, you can read John Uh, This is Jesus speaking. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So you see uh, this statement of people will look and they'll know that you belong to me because of how you love. But then he starts with something very interesting, a new command I will give to you. Well, the interesting about that statement is love was not brought up for the first time in John chapter 13. Love is repeatedly seen in the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. What Jesus is saying here, this is a new command because it's not just tied to loving people, but the example. So he's saying that the command I give to you is new because it's not just love, but then notice the next part, as I have loved you. Now, what's very interesting about this point in the scripture is Jesus had just demonstrated what love is. And if you recall, if you know the book of John, he had just washed the disciples' feet. And if you've never read this, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you have uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied about, and that he was coming to this earth. He was coming to fulfill what the Scriptures had said. And he was teaching, and he had authority, and he was changing people's lives, and transformation was, was happening. But to really make sure that his followers got it, he got down on his knees And he washed their feet. Now, I hate feet. (laughs) I do. And um, I'm just not, yeah. But in in this day, I would have really hated feet because you didn't have closed shoes. So you were walking with sandals, and these aren't like high-quality sandals. It's leather, and your, your feet would get blistered and messed up and then dirty And so a natural practice was when you would enter the home of somebody where you were staying, they would uh, pick the the lowliest of the servants to do the lowliest job, which I can, like, that's right. Many jobs I would want to do above that. But what Jesus did is he took that lowliest position and committed the lowliest job to give this example, as I have loved you. So when he says that, that image is fresh on their mind. He just bent down. He washed our dirty, ugly, gross feet to signify this is what people who follow me do. You lower yourself. You sacrifice for others. You could take a high position, but instead you choose a low one. So what he's saying is is now you have a picture that you've never seen before because the Son of God has never come. But he's here now, and he just humbled himself in front of all of you. And as I have done. I want you to do as well. Now, if I were to ask you, you know, if we were gonna have like, let's have a feet washing ceremony, how many of you would be like really excited about that? Based on what I've said, like this would be like my my worst experience. But I think that's so fitting because it's the idea of it's like, nobody would want to do it. It's not this prime job that you work yourself to. It's like you have to start at the bottom. And that Jesus is actually giving a sign of like, that's actually kind of what love is. You sacrifice and serve you sacrifice and serve. If you're sacrificing for others, you're in the midst of what God's love is. When you serve others and put them in front of you, you're in the midst of what love is. And that is the path that Jesus wants us uh, to walk on continually. Uh, the, The word love here in this scripture, and again and again to define God's love, is the word agape. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a Christian wedding, but they use that word a lot because it's actually the best definition of God's love for us. And the meaning of agape uh, is this, acting for another's highest good out of principle. And that means because it is right based on what God said, not necessarily with emotion. Now, imagine trying to write a love song from that. I don't really like you right now, but I love you. You guys want the album? I'm going to drop that (laughs) next week. Um, But the idea of like acting out of principle goes against every sense of of love that we have. Because you know why? Love is a feeling to to most of us. And love in our culture is something that you fall into and out of. And we say things like, I just don't feel it anymore. But agape love is not based on emotion. It's like whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to serve. Because if you wait for your feelings until you're ready to do something, you're going to be waiting a long time. But the Christian faith is, you actually make the right choice, and faith is trusting that those feelings will come. So I will act in what's right because it's right, because God's told me to do it, trusting that those feelings and maybe that, the attitude and maybe the, the motivation and the willingness and the energy will, will come after it. But you can't wait for that to happen until you, you love people. And this is the type of love, this agape love, that God wants our community here at Ridgeview to be. And not only that, this is the kind of love that he wants our, our household to be. Like as people were to look and open the door of our house, do they see and do they feel and do they sense an atmosphere of love? I'll be so honest with you. In my own life, in my own family, you can open the door, and sometimes, like, you're not feeling love. Remember that old Lion King, can you feel the love tonight? Is that Lion King? Okay. We're going, we're going, throw, we're going all over the place, guys. Um, but there's times, like, where, you know, in family life, it's tense. We're at each other. We're frustrated. You ever experienced that? Yeah. And then, and then you come to church, and you're like... <laughs> You know, then you go, what are you doing? You know, it's it's a battle. It's a fight. And and it's very easy to fake it. And if love is a feeling, then you can also fake it as well. But you can't fake acting rightly in principle. You can't. It will catch up with you. And so the idea here is, like, how does this actually become the type of person that that I am? And then the kind of people that we become as we group together and, and commit to do this. So when we're talking about loving people and back to the basics... This should be the thing as people come to Ridgeview and as they interact with us and as they come to our events and as we serve the city, like Cameron mentioned on the 30th, and as people come to groups, and as people come to everything that we should do, they should be said, wow, these people actually love each other and, and they love me. They may not know what that is, and, but they care, they're attentive, they help, they serve, they sacrifice. They could describe love before they maybe use the word, but that's what we want uh, to be true of us. Uh, So what I want to do for the rest of the time, and there's a lot of like specifics to this, I want to just give a picture of how can you love in specific ways. So maybe what you want to do on the, the front end is is define like what what's love to you. And then in your own definition, what you think love is, like does this match that? Then what might be helpful as well, who in your life right now do you sense you need to actually love? Like, are there people where you realize, like, I have been distant, I've been withdrawn, I've been withholding love, I've been resenting, I've been bitter towards? Because oftentimes, it's in the, like the, the midst of the, the problems that we face, the muddiness and the awkwardness of those relationships, those are the things that God wants, like, this is where I want my love to, to be found. Like, This is where I want my love uh, to enter. So think my own definition, and then who? Like, who can I apply this to? So let's dig in. I'm going to not spend a ton of time uh, on each scripture, but I just want to give you like an overall thematic view. So a new command I give to you, you know, follow my example. And Jesus uh, did these. Uh, let's dig in. How to put love into action. Number one, forgive wrongs. Uh, Proverbs 17.9 says this. It says, whoever, put it up there on the screen if you see it. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The idea here is, have you ever messed up and you knew you blew it, and then you make it right with the person, like you ask for forgiveness, will you forgive me for doing that? But have you ever had somebody that after you have made it right, they keep bringing it up? That happens a lot in relationships. Maybe not all the time, but there's something that happens where it's like a trigger, like, well, I'm going to still bring, bring that up. Well, the idea of, like, when you uh, cover an offense, it's the idea of, like, there's a blemish there, and, like, I'm not, like, a, I'm about to make a statement, which I hope is self-explanatory. I'm not, like, a makeup guy, okay? But the idea of covering an offense is, like, you have a blemish, and you cover it up, like, so you can't see it. And it doesn't mean that the blemish is not there, and that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not just, it never happened, Forgiveness is, it happened, and it hurt, but I'm going to act like you can't see it anymore, and the, the way I forgive others, I'm not going to bring it up. So one of the best things you can do for people that you want to love, forgive them and commit to God, like, I will not bring that up again, because every time you bring up an offense that's been forgiven, it's like reopening the wound again and again and again, and the, the relationship actually can't move past it. And so when you cover an offense, you say, I forgive you. And even before they ask for it, you can forgive them before God. And if they ask for it, that can really restore the relationship. But you can cover up that wrong, and then you, you drop it. doesn't mean you forget. And we've talked about this a lot. Uh, forgiveness, especially for things that have been done to you that, that are horrible or terrible, you don't just forget, but you make a decision. I make a decision. I will forgive them, and I'm not going to bring that up. And then what you do is you make a decision to forgive. You may spend years and years and years emotionally working through that. And that's what it is. You forgive in a decision, and you make that decision before God. And then over time, you have to work through it. Sometimes it feels like we have to emotionally be fine before we can forgive. It's the same idea of love. You make that decision out of principle to forgive, and then you ask God to heal the wounds, and and he will. Uh, The second, plan good uh, for people. So you forgive wrongs and then you plan good for people. Proverbs 14 uh, says this, do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. So here uh, the Proverbs uh, usually create pictures for us and they're pictures of like two different uh, kinds of people. And the first is those who plot evil and in their evil, the idea is like they, they don't want good for people. Uh, they maybe hold a grudge, like you don't forget. You're going to make sure like you're keeping your eye on them. And the idea is uh, those who plot evil for people or want the worst for people spend all their time focused on that, and before they know it, they have not grown in a long time. You're plotting for others, and therefore your whole relationship and your life gets unraveled, and you see this in life again and again. People get so... Uh, wrapped up in what they want to do to other people, or comparison or envy, or whatever it is, and, and they end up going astray. But then the, the picture of the other person is this: But those who plan what is good find love and, and faithfulness. The idea of uh, planning here, uh, another way is like to, to plot. Like you have a, a piece of land that you want good fruit to come from, and for good fruit to come, you have to plant good seeds. But for seeds to be able to get planted, the soil needs to get uh, worked on. A lot of you guys live in Fontana, surrounding areas. Have you worked on the soil in our city? You guys know what I mean. It's terrible. It's terrible. I, I have more rocks than I have dirt if I dig a hole. And then I go to put it back, and the hole, it still goes that far down because I've taken all the rocks out. My sprinkler is now underneath the surface. Sorry, guys, this, I just need to get this out a little bit. But the idea is I can't just say like, hey, I want to fix the soil. I want to fix my sprinklers. I want to plant something without plotting what that's going to take. That means I need to remove a lot of rocks. And the idea here is for me to plan good for people, I need to think about how I can bless them. We live in a time where, if I could be frank, most of us, all of us, think about ourselves the most. You notice that in conversations. Am I listening more than I'm speaking? Am I hearing what's going on with people? The idea is to plan for good. You, you're listening to what's going on in people's life, and there's a part of you that you're, you're, you're planning, like, how could I help that person? This idea of it's, it's forethought, it's initiative, it's thinking how you can help. And the idea here is, is planning for good and love and faithfulness. The idea is like you're, you're not just thinking about what to do, but those thoughts turn into action. And we have a phrase, like it's the thought that what? Counts. That's true. But it has to move beyond just thinking to plan for what is good for people. So that's another uh, element of love. Number three, this one is a a, a challenge. Third aspect of love is is acting in the other person's interest, even at the risk of the relationship. I want to just camp out for a little bit here. I think this is the most uh, confused aspect of love in our culture. Love in our culture today means acceptance. Like to love me means you accept everything about me. But that's actually not love. Because there's times where you may accept something of somebody, but it's, it's evil or it's wrong or they're harming themselves. So there's an idea about love. It's like you don't say anything about what is truth. But, but truth and love are always going hand in hand. Love without truth is, is a feeling. It's actually the world's definition of love. But when you have the truth, it actually makes love so much more clearer. Uh, There's clarity. And so, real love is not just doing what people want to hear. Real love is not even just doing uh, the idea of, like, well, I'm just going to kind of let them do their own thing. That's true in, in many relationships. But there comes a time where if you really love somebody, there's times where you need to tell them the truth. And that truth has to be in love, they have to work together. That's a command. But notice what Proverbs 13 says, and this is specific uh, to parents, but the principle is the same. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. I think the, the principle of parenting is very helpful in this aspect. The idea is if you love your kids, you do not love them by just letting them do whatever they want. Why? I've been a kid. Do you know how many ideas I've had that are absolutely terrible? But at the time, because I'm a kid, I thought they were amazing. Like, what if I never sleep again? Or shower? <laughs> or eat a vegetable? Like, you know, like when you're a kid, that just seems like that's going to make sense. But you, you need to have parents that actually say, well, actually, that, that won't be good for you. That will be detrimental to you. I'll be bad for you. And part of the parenting like, role with the kid is like helping them see that you know more than they do. So parents, discipline your kids. It's okay. You're their parents. I think we're in a time now where it's almost like disciplining is just something that's gone by the wayside. Well, here's the thing. You're loving them. If you're holding boundaries, this is how life works. This is how God intends a life to work. And the idea that he who loves him is careful, uh, it's this idea of, like, I'm diligent in the discipline. I'm, I'm staying connected. I'm not withdrawn. And here's what happens if you're a parent, and you know this because it happens to me all the time. If your kids uh, go just off track and they get an attitude and they're defiant and they just are doing their own thing, what tends to happen is you pull away because it's easier, Right? I'm just going to pull away because if I say something, it's like, wow, it's going to erupt. That's actually not what love is. That's a picture of like, you're just going to let them kind of go towards their own destruction. The older they are, the harder this is. So if you start younger and you hold the line and you secure the boundary and you say, this is God's role for you. This is God's best for you. You have to do the hard things according to what God says. And as you hold that line and as you you discipline and you teach them the right way, they will become a different type of person. If you don't discipline them, they will become what the culture and the world says. That's not love. So we have to stay engaged in parenting. So for me, uh, if your your child rebels, like discipline them. They're rebelling against authority. And if they rebel against authority, their life is not going to go well. And that's part of honoring their parents. That's what the, the, the word says. Honor your father and mother so it may go well with you. It's actually a sense of you have longer life if you honor your parents. Your parents, you know, as parents, like, you you should be respected. What's crazy as a parent is, like, you're telling them that. You should respect me. And that's absolutely right. They should. So discipline for rebellion. Uh, If your kids uh, disrespect you, discipline them. If they badmouth you, if they talk bad about who you are and the role you play, like, You can't let that go because if they learn that disrespect is normal, they're going to do that their whole life. And oftentimes with my kids, I have a picture of like, am I parenting my daughter and my sons in a way that like their spouse will come up to me and say, thank you. Or will they come up to me and say, thanks a lot. (laughs) That helps me. You got to think big picture. How am I creating a father that will raise kids? How am I creating a mother that will raise kids? How am I creating a church member that will participate in the ministry? It starts at home. It starts where no one looks. And then if your kid harms people, like they hurt people, they hit people, they bite people, discipline for that. I'm giving you permission. In fact, we need you to. All of us do. I was talking to a friend recently, a phrase that he got Uh, from somebody who's helping him in parenting, and the phrase is this, refuse to lose. If you really want to love your kids, refuse to lose. Don't let them outmaneuver and beat you. Not beat you like beat you. Don't let them do that either, but get what they want. It's so easy to give them what they want because it makes life easier, but that's not love. That's enabling them. Proverbs 27, 5. This is for those who don't even have kids. It says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. The idea is, if you really want to know what love is, somebody correcting you, telling you a pattern of your life that's damaging. What the scripture says, an open rebuke, somebody who corrects you has taken more of a risk in love than somebody who just loves you and never says anything. Think about that. But we live in a time now, if somebody were to rebuke you, we would think that was the biggest offense somebody could do how dare you say that about me? That's not biblical. Actually, they're loving you. They care enough to say something. And this is lost in our culture. What happens in our culture is we don't ever talk about what's going on. We don't talk about offenses, and we definitely talk, don't talk about correction. Here at Ridgeview, like, one of our values is to give and receive scriptural correction it's the idea like we all have blind spots and we can all get off track. We need to love each other enough to point that out. Not one-time offenses, but patterns that can damage. What happens in our culture is people are damaging their life and instead of people talking to that person, they just talk to their friends about it. Did you see what they did? Can you believe what's happening? That's not love. That's actually gossip. We need to love. I told you I was gonna talk about that one a little longer. Number four, uh, take initiative... Uh, don't be passive. So forgive wrongs, Playing good for people, act in the other person's interests. And then number four, oh, can you go back real quick? Take initiative, don't be passive. You can, uh, sorry, we're doing a little dance here. Uh, the scripture, uh, this is 1 John again. Uh, 1 John is also written by John, just like the gospel of John, and that has a theme of love in it as well. But listen to this, see the initiative that God took with us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. This is why it's part of the basics. The only way we can love is because God loved. The scriptures define him as love. So love is not a concept that the world has and we're trying to take back. Actually, It's here because of God himself. God is real and living, and love is on this earth and in our relationships because God created it. But notice, he was also the initiator. And you see that in the scripture, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And he sent his son. Again, the theme, sacrifice and serve. He did it. He sacrificed. He served. God did that. Jesus did that. And God always initiates with us. He always takes that step of love. Uh, propriation means averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. So when we've sinned, all of us, when we've lied, when we've rebelled, just like I described with, with our parents and with our kids, we do that with God. Like we want what we want, and we want it now. And what happens is because of sin, the wrath of God is upon us. It's a force that's coming our way, like we are guilty because of sin, every single one of us, and every person on this whole entire earth. But when it talks about this love and the appropriation, it's this sense of the the wrath of God is upon you, but Jesus came because God sent him in love, and Jesus came and died for our sins in love, and he lowered himself and sacrificed in love. And not only did he do that to set the example, he did that so that the wrath of God would come upon himself. And he sacrificed. And that's what love is. But we didn't just ask God to do that. He did it. He knew what we needed. And he did what was necessary to make it happen. And the picture of love, if you're a Christ follower, you always need to remember, like just like God took the initiative with me, I need to take the initiative with others. I don't know about you and your relationships. Do you ever find like it feels like you're always the one that's moving towards people? Like I'm always the one that's checking on them. I'm always the one that makes it right when things are messed up. I'm asking for forgiveness first. I feel like I'm texting them. you ever find yourself like it feels like it's always one-sided? If it's one-sided, what you have going for you is you are taking initiative. And that's God's kind of love. Now, The kind of love that is in Scripture is something that's reciprocal. What is you take initiative with me, I take initiative with you. It should be happening because it's a command uh, to all of us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 uh, describes this. It says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. The idea is love, described here as a labor of love, is hard work. Do you agree with that? Love is hard work. Thinking of yourself is not hard work. Doing what you want is not hard work. Considering your own schedule and your goals and your needs is not hard work. Considering others is very hard. So what the Scripture is saying is like this is a, a labor of love. And here's what I've learned over the years is when I work hard at love, and I have this labor of love, I'm now putting God in the opportunity for him to work. And that's what happens. We work for love, and then when we work for love, God is saying, you are doing what I've commanded. And as you're working for love, I'm now gonna come, and I'm gonna take that labor of love, this, this picture that you have, this, this masterpiece of love, and I'm just gonna make this painting grander and more blessing to people. It's like he takes what we give him, and he just multiplies it. He takes the sacrifice and he multiplies. it. He takes the service and he multiplies this and he always does this. But it comes as we have this labor of love, this commitment, like God, here I am. I, I wanna help this person. I wanna serve them. I wanna take initiative. I wanna follow up. And then he says, that's my way. And I'm gonna take what you're doing and I'm gonna make something even more beautiful. This is like teeming with God at its best. When you take initiative and you're not passive God works. Two more. He works in these specific ways. You could take initiative. One, to build up others. First uh, Corinthians 8.1, this should be a challenge to all of us. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The idea is, especially if you've been in the church for like a while, if you like grew up in church, you have a lot of things that you know. And that can be helpful. The knowledge of God changes our life, how we see things, our perspective. But there comes a point where we can know too much and it's no longer helpful. The scriptures describe this as knowledge that puffs up. It's like pride. You know all the answers. The way that you deflate the puffiness of knowledge in our head is you put love into action. So the idea is, are you doing and applying everything you've learned? If not, you need to be careful. Because it's just like your your head is just being filled with ideas. But instead of that puffing up, you got to put those ideas uh, into action. Uh, For me, oftentimes, as I interact with people, I'm having to talk to myself as I'm talking to them. And that is, uh, if I really want to say something, I need to tell myself, like, do you really need to say it right now? Am I listening to that person? As I'm talking, am I trying to impress them with who I am and what I've done, or am I listening to them? Am I getting into their world? Um, Oftentimes, we want people to love us as we interact, and so we kind of show people all that we've done. Like, look what I've done. Aren't you impressed with that? We don't say that, but that's oftentimes what we do. But building up others is the sense of, like, I don't need to show you anything. I don't need to prove myself at all. But I need to be present here, and I need to build you up. So some ways that I do that, some things that I have to tell myself is how can I listen? Listening builds others up. We live in a time where people don't listen to each other at all. Everyone has something to say. We all have a statement. Become a type of person that loves people by listening. And then how can I encourage, as I'm listening, uh, how can I encourage them? If you're a type of person that looks for ways to tell people, like, They can do things, and you've seen God work in their life or how they're a blessing to you. You will change people's lives. We don't encourage people. It's like a lost art because we're so protective. But if you become somebody who encourages, uh, you'll have very strong relationships. But the hard thing is is you think, well, if I'm always encouraging people, who's going to encourage me? Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. That takes faith. Going back to what I talked about. How can I listen? How can I encourage? How can I check on people? I encourage you. If you want to know how to love people in Ridgeview, have their contact information. That's how you know the quality of a relationship. You can actually get in touch with somebody. You know how many times it's like, I wonder how they're doing, and you don't have any way of getting in contact with them. So if you want to become somebody who builds others up, get a way that you can get in contact with them. And so after the service, we're just going to have an exchange of numbers, <laughs> all right? And it's not going to be weird. But that's the great thing. Hey, like, can I get your you number? I'd love to get a hold of you sometime, see how you're doing. And then you, you can start this process of building others up. And then another thing is how can I check on people? How can I follow up? If you hear somebody's facing something and they're going through something, the best thing you can do is the next week or during the week or a couple days later, ask them how it went. That's love. You're building them up. I've thought of you, and I'm wondering how you're doing. This happens all the time. We think of people, but that thought, the planning, turns to action. Planning for people's good now can go to building them up. So listen, encourage, check in on people, and then follow up. And then finally, uh, meet practical needs. And this scripture is from 1 John as well. And it says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Again, service and sacrifice. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So now you see the extension. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now in 1 John, you see it even more clearly. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. When Jesus talked about that in John 13, he had not yet even committed the greatest sacrifice ever. He hadn't died on the cross yet. So could you imagine now reading this where we are on that other side and now we see he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Like it's even hard to kind of understand that type of love. But It's the one where you, you sacrifice. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In our culture, there's a lot about talk is cheap. The scripture is kind of saying that in a lot of ways. Doesn't matter necessarily what you what you say, it's what you do. But according to the scripture, it's actually what you say and what you do. It's both. You don't have to choose. You need to do it all. So, meet practical needs. What's happening in people's life? How how can I help? What's happening in people's life? How can I rally around and get a group of people to help? That's what the church is. Like here at Ridgeview, we should have a Ridgeview moving company. If people move, we need to be there to help them. And that happens. And what happens is exactly what the scriptures say people will know that they are my disciples. Because they're not related and they have all these people helping them move. Why? That's the church and that's love. When people are sick, they should be getting checked on. When people have babies, we should be making meals, which we do. But all of this stuff is because that's what love is it's meeting practical needs. Community is community because of that, it's because you're not alone. Do you know how many people are dying for this? They like just long for it, and they are completely alone. They may have tons of friends, but their friends do not build them up. Their friends do not check on them. Their friends do not meet practical needs. It's dog eat dog. You do you, I do me. Stay out of each other's way. But the church is different. It's a little taste of heaven. This is the kind of community that God wants us to be. And if you're wondering well, what that means, just start with you. Start with you. So next steps, um, here's the way you can start with you. The first is this. If you've never become a Christian, I'm talking about God's love. God's love is, is not fully like, experienced by you yet unless you decide to follow Jesus. Like you can't extend this love until you accept it first. And so if you've never become a Christian, you can mark on your connection card. You'll see it uh, on here. Just It says contact me about uh, following Jesus, and we'll follow up with you. That's what it's all about. We want you to connect to the living God and experience his love. And you experience his love when you realize, like, you know, he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And I want to give my life to him because of that. And then God will use that, and and that love will now become something you experience, and now you can extend uh, to others. Uh, The second one, uh, I need to put love into action by, uh, I've just given you seven ideas. So, just take a moment right now. Out of those seven, which one do you need to put into action? Just look, which one? And then who do you need to put that action towards? So think what and who, what and who? And I encourage you, take, take a step today. Which one? Does it build others up? Does it meet a practical need? I, I don't know. And then this third next step, is if you'd like to just study the scriptures more, uh, we've provided like an extra handout. And this extra handout is going through 1 Corinthians 13, which is like a chapter on love. And if you've never spent time studying it, it's packed full with all sorts of meaning. So if you're interested, on your connection card, write 1 Corinthians 13, and we will send you an email with a study that you can work through this week and learn more about God's love for us. And it's, it'll be practical. It'll ask questions. You've got to write it down on this handout. You can print it out. So that's just for you uh, to get just kind of spend some time. You could spend time like in your devotional uh, doing that. So let us know. Just write 1 Corinthians 13 uh, on the connection card. And then last but not least, next week we're starting a new sermon series called Making Change. There's a slide up here, I think, that talks about it. We're going to be talking about these four things. Uh, And we're going to be looking at, like, what does it mean to have a biblical view of our finances and what God's given us? Talk about less is more, stress is bad. I agree with that. Uh, Giving is good, and then tomorrow matters. So what that means next week is what? Donuts. Okay? So invite uh, a family member. Again, we don't do just donuts and new sermon series and promote it for us. Uh, We want this to be, who's someone in my life that could actually benefited by the community that we've talked about, the content that we discuss. And think about that. Take a risk in love to invite somebody next week. Let me pray. We're going to sing another song, receive our offering. And if I've never met you, I'll be by the info table, and I'd love to connect with you after the service. Let's pray. Father, again and again, the scriptures just remind us that you have initiated, you have taken the steps towards us, you have done what is necessary for us to experience love. Thank you that you have defined it, you've extended it. Uh, You're not passive with us. And help us to not be passive with others. So out of all the things that we've talked about today, will you just show us the one thing that we can do and help us to not uh, just discount the opportunities, but to make the most of them. So God, just give us eyes to see a people and ways to love situations where we can make a difference. Take our effort and our labor of love and multiply them in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.